So <clears throat> this week uh, is an interesting week because, so if you've been with us for, for, the, for this year, we've been working through the book of Matthew. And uh, usually you've also, we, we usually at the, uh, kick off little mini-series in, the, uh, in Matthew as well. And we were supposed to actually start one of those last week here at Harbor Life. Walker, you all did, which is good. We didn't um, because unfortunately for two years I was able to avoid COVID, um, fought and I thought, I, I actually called myself super immune, um, but I was wrong. I'm not, um, because it hit me last week. And so, as Harbor Life knows, I wasn't here last week. I missed one baptism. I missed the service that we had here, um, which was incredibly disappointing. I missed you guys so much. I was online in the morning, uh, and I heard about the lake at one baptism, but I wasn't able to be there. Uh, ben Campmeyer from City Harbor came in, and he shared a great message but he didn't kick off our new mini-series. So uh, I wanted to just talk a little bit about it before we, we get started this morning because uh, I love the title of this mini-series. Um, we're calling it Honest Questions Christians or People Ask. Um, and what I love about it is one of the things that we try to do here at Harbor Life, and I know at Walker as well, is create space for those kind of honest questions. Um, I often will say in a service, hey, if I go over something too quickly, give me a call, let's grab talk, coffee, and we'll talk about it. Uh, and this series is going to focus on a lot of those things. Actually, we have a bumper video that kind of gives it a preview better than I can. And so as you saw, we have a, there's a, as in, especially in the book of Matthew, in the next section we're going to look at, we have all of these questions that we ask that are big questions uh, of how life works and how we interact with God in that way. And so today, we're actually going to tackle the second one that you saw scroll, scroll by there. How many times should I forgive? Uh, we're going to be taking a bite out of a topic that is absolutely massive. Um, there's no way we're going to be able to cover all the different aspects of how forgiveness works, but we're going to do our best to at least take one perspective on it. Because the passage we're in today uh, is in Matthew 18. So if you've got a Bible, open into Matthew 18. We're going to start at verse 21, which says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall we forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Let's just pause there for, for a second. Because like I said, we're going to tackle forgiveness, which is, which is huge. And so we're going to do it in, from just one aspect. And what way we're going to do that is we're going to explore this passage, also the one that comes before it and after it. Then we're going to talk a little bit about what forgiveness isn't, which is not something I love doing, but I think it's important in this case. And to close with then talking about what forgiveness is and how we do something with that. So we start with this particular passage, though. Uh, Peter has a question for Jesus. He says, how many times do I need to forgive somebody who sinned against me? Now, <clears throat> see, you, you, there, there was something going on in Peter's life, and a lot of scholars have done research into exactly why he asked that question, and many of them assume it's because John used to regularly steal Peter's lunch. <laughs> Bad joke, sorry. <laughs> He's like, Jesus, seriously, every time I open the lunch that nothing. I swear he knows what he's doing. No. Um, no, in this passage, though, something prompts Peter to ask that question. And so what was it? Well, we really do know what, that, what it was because uh, we, have a verse, we have a few verses right before that. So right before the passage we just looked at is Matthew 18, 15, which says, If a brother or sister sins against you, go point out the fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that, every, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as if Treat them, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two on earth agree about anything, you ask for it will be done by my Father in heaven. For whether two or three come together in my name, I am there with them. So there's a few things that I want to point out before we move past this section. We're going to tackle this a little bit quickly. First, we can easily read over some of these lines and miss uh, the very first line, which says, if a brother or sister sins against you. Right now, some Bible variations have against you, some don't. Um, it's just a translation thing in that case. Um, but it's easy to re- read quickly over the phrase, a brother or a sister, and not realize that it's not just a collective term to talk about all people. See, we're talking about people who are part of our community, in particular, our faith community. So if we're, when, when, whenever the Bible is talking about our brothers and sisters, you're talking about our faith community, people who share a common faith belief system. Right? It might actually be an actual brother or sister, maybe not, but it's talking about your church family, your, your, your faith family. And that matters for this particular passage because it's helping us understand how do we tackle conflict, how do we tackle places in which we feel someone has sinned against us inside of the church body with people who believe the same way we do. <clears throat> so we have a person who's part of our faith community and they've sinned against us. They've hurt us in some way. They've done something that causes us harm. And we've all been there at some point in our lives. And so Jesus then walks the disciples through the process of reconciliation. He says, if someone's hurt you, what's the first thing that you do? He says, go and talk to them just between the two of you. Go and have a conversation with them um, to just to, because perhaps they don't even know they hurt you in the first place. Now, I want us all to notice something here. It do, it, what, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say talk to every single person but the one that hurt you, which is something that we often have a hard time with, right? We love to talk to a whole bunch of other people first and then never actually have the conversation with the person that's hurt us. It also says, it doesn't say don't address it and let resentment build. Like, just ignore it for a while, and hopefully it'll go away. It's not what it says either. We can choose to not make something a deal, and sometimes that's the best way to go, but then it actually has to not be a deal, right? I think sometimes we'll choose to not make something a deal, but then just let it stew inside of us for a while. It also doesn't say be cruel or, or are hurtful to the other person. It says go and have a conversation with them. Essentially, hey, John, this thing that you did, when you did it, it made me feel like this, and that caused me pain. Can we talk about it? Now, hopefully, for many of us, that's the only step we're going to need. Hopefully, that person hears what we've said. Hey, you hurt me in this way. They say, hey, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize it did that, and we can start to make amends. But it says sometimes that won't happen. Sometimes the person that you hurt doesn't believe that they've actually hurt you, and it says, so then bring a couple other people with you. Right? Bring a couple other people that you trust with you to have a conversation there too because sometimes in those kind of conflict situations, you need a third voice to kind of help you gain a better perspective. Many of us have been there too, right? Uh, I've shared many times before that, um, that at different times in my marriage, Jen and I have gone to a counselor to help us in that exact way, right? That there have been times where we could be talking about something uh, and just missing, Right? For whatever reason, we, even might have, we, we might honestly be both trying to find the solution. We just needed a third voice to speak it a little bit differently. I always make the joke, right? The number of times we've sat in counseling and the counselor will say something, 
And I'll go, guy, that's a great point. And Jen will go, I've literally been saying that to you for three years. <laughs> and I'll be like, I didn't hear it until right now. So, just <laughs> sorry, babe. Um, so, so Jesus says sometimes you're going to need to do that as well. Um, <clears throat> and then, so, <clears throat> so finally, the, it, it, it could, we can go to another section there too where that still might not work. And then, so, then, so then Jesus says, well, then you may need to bring in the whole church uh, to have a conversation with this person if they still don't hear you in that. Uh, he says, treat them like a tax collector or a pagan. Now, one of the th- interpretations of that through history has been, well, then you push them out. Uh, that's not what Jesus means. When Jesus is talking, if you actually look at Jesus' life, often when he's dealing with tax collectors and pagans, he's the most loving and gentle and inviting, right? He's essentially saying you might need to evangelize to this person a little bit, to, church, to show them what that love looks like. Um, but it is different than a brother and sister in that space. Now, I wanted to hit this section briefly because I do think it's important for us to work through what it looks like to have good conflict resolution in those spaces. But that's not really where I want to live and focus on today. Hopefully, we're able to do those things in that space. But what I want to focus on this morning uh, is actually the response to Peter's question. So Peter comes to Jesus and he's asking, how many times do I need to forgive? Uh, Because he's just heard this process of reconciliation that Jesus has given. And now he's trying to put it into some kind of practice. And so Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how many times should I have to forgive? Seven? Now, maybe that to you hits you kind of funny, like seven, why would you put a limit on it? Um, but that number that's, that Peter is choosing isn't arbitrary. There's a deeper meaning that rides behind it. You see, I think Peter, in this particular case, probably is thinking pretty highly of himself at this moment. He's probably actually thinking that maybe he's going to get credit like he just did a few chapters earlier when he realizes that Jesus is the Messiah. I actually kind of wonder if Peter in his head is going, this is going to be good, Right? Because what Peter's doing is he, he knows that there's a, there's a rabbinic tradition at this particular time that answers this question. How many times do I need to forgive somebody? And the rabbis had an answer for it, and they said it was three, right? You forgive someone three times. Now, there's a number of arguments for why they chose three. In the Old Testament, there's a number of examples of God forgiving the nation of Israel three times. Um, there's a number of, it's also a good holy number, right? Three is a good holy number. Uh, and so they said, you forgive someone three times. Someone sins against you, you forgive them. They do it again, you forgive them again. They do it a third time, you forgive them a third time. They do it a fourth time, don't need to, you're done. And so when Peter, knowing that, is going to ask the same question to Jesus, how many times do I forgive? Now, you can already start to see why Peter might be thinking highly of himself. He says, okay, the rabbis say three. I'm going to double that, which is a lot, right? That's doubling what they say. And I'll add one to make it a good holy seven, right? He's like, nailed it. And so Peter asked, hey, how many times seven? He He thinks he's being incredibly generous. Unfortunately, he's he's missed the point. Because as soon as Jesus speaks, he realizes that he, he does, he's not going to get a well-done Peter moment. He realizes that he's completely off base. Because Jesus answered, no, it's not seven. It's actually 70 times seven. Which means more than just the addition there, right? You're, this is not Jesus saying, create a tally mark sheet, and every time you forgive someone, check it off, and if you ever actually get that high, well, then you're done. 
Whenever Jesus makes a comment like that, he's, he's not, he, what he's doing is he's telling Peter that your lens is wrong. You're thinking about this thing as how do I do this thing by checking all of my particular boxes. Jesus says that lens isn't going to work because it's not about three, it's not about seven, it's about 70 times seven, it's about the completeness of the completeness of the completeness. You're going to have to change your perspective and your lens all together. See, Peter wants to follow the rules. How do I do this thing the right way? He's thinking of it very similar to how the Pharisees would have. There's laws, there's ways you do it, and this is how it's supposed to work. But Jesus is flipping that on his head. So hold on to that for just a minute because we're going to come back to it. Jesus goes on to explain his point by using a parable. And I'm not going to read the whole parable, but I'll paraphrase it for you. Uh, Jesus tells this story. He says, we've got a guy, a normal guy, right? Uh, maybe he's an Amazon deri- delivery driver or something like that. Keep your a middle-class guy. Actually, that makes Bezos God in this story, so we don't want that. Um, reset. So we have, we've got a guy who works as a middle manager for not Amazon, for something else, right? Uh, <laughs> and this guy racks up quite the debt. Right? The Bible actually says 10,000 talents. Now, that might not mean a lot to you, but essentially a ridiculous amount of money. 10,000 talents is about 20 years' salary, right? So it's a lot, right? If you're in debt, 20 years' salary, that's a lot. Um, And so he owes his boss essentially like 10 million bucks, right? A a comical amount for a a delivery driver or whatever we're going to say this guy is. And now the boss calls him into his office to collect on the debt. Hey, you owe me 10 million bucks, pay up today. He obviously can't, and so he begs his boss to cancel his debt. And if you know the parable, his boss does. Cancels his debt and lets him go. He's completely off the hook. But then the same guy, as he's leaving, notices Phyllis on the way out and remembers that he bought her lunch last week. Remember, he owed $10 million, but he bought her lunch last week. And he decided now is the time to collect on his debt that he's owed. And so he demands that Phyllis pays. She can't, and so he fires her sends her away. And the story, and, and as a result, uh, the boss hears, his boss hears about that and fires him too and also reinstates his debt. And that's how, and the story ends this way. Matthew 18, 35. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive a brother or sister from your heart. So what Peter has realized is that this forgiveness is a tricky deal. People hurt us over and over and over again, and each time it's a little bit more painful than the time previous and makes it a little bit harder to forgive them. My guess is many of you have lived through that cycle uh, at least once or twice in your life. And so Jesus is changing the conversation, though, because Peter's like, if someone hurts me over and over again, how many times do I forgive them before I just write them off altogether? And so Jesus changes the conversation by doing two things. First, he's ending the discussion on amount of forgiveness. It's easier for us to view the debt someone owes us as insurmountable, as too big for me to let go of. What Jesus does, though, is put that into perspective for us. He says, if we're aware of God's forgiveness for us relative to what others owe us in, in terms of forgiveness, um, that all, of, all other debts owed seem insignificant in comparison. It's the first is the first um, point that Jesus is making. But the bigger thing he's doing is he's explaining the end of the passage. Forgive if you want forgiveness, essentially. He's helping us see a bigger paradigm. And that's where I want us to camp for the rest of our time 
this morning. You see, for many of us, forgiveness has gotten a little messed up. We've, we've confused what it means, and as a result, it is in, what is already inherently hard, for many of us, becomes nearly impossible. See, it's, at its simplest, forgiveness is the canceling of a debt, uh, both physical and emotional. One of the easier ways to understand it is, uh, let's say Mike steals $100 from me. He might, who knows, but let's say he does it, right? I don't think he would. Mike's a good guy. But let's say he does. Mike steals $100 from me. Mike has just created a debt to me, a physical debt, which is the easier of the two. Uh, he now owes me 100 bucks because he stole 100 bucks. His debt is $100 to me. Make sense? So if I was to forgive his physical debt, I would say, Mike, you don't owe me 100 bucks anymore. It's forgiven. We're done. The problem is, though, that if Mike steals $100 from me, he creates a different kind of debt as well. He creates an emotional debt, right? Because now, now I feel violated. Somebody has just stolen from me, and we all know how that well, maybe you don't know how that feels, but it feels bad, right? Uh, also, I have to worry, can I trust him again? All right, you, I, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Mike, and if he steals from me, that's going to create a debt between us that's going to be hard to come over because I, I would trust Mike next to my wallet now. After he did that, I don't know if I could, right? creates this emotional debt, which is far more complex than the physical one, right? It, re- it requires us to process through a lot more things to figure out what that looks like. It's relatively easy, actually, to forgive a physical debt. You owed me $100, now you don't. It's much more difficult to forgive an emotional debt because one, I have to figure out what exactly that debt is and I may or may not know depending on how complex the situation is. And two, then I have to learn how to let it go, how to forgive it, how to make Mike not owe me that anymore. At its simplest form, that's what forgiveness is. But the problem is, for so much of how we talk about forgiveness as a society, we've gotten that simple idea messed up and made it far more complicated than it needs to be. And so I want to start by doing something that I don't like to do often. I would much rather talk about what things are than what they're not. But in this case, I think it's really helpful for us to first identify what forgiveness is not. So first, forgiveness is not the same thing as excusing. Now, I think this is one that we wrestle with maybe more uh, than we thought we did. Um, Some of these are on a slide too, Carter, if you want to throw those up. Some of us get tripped up on on this particular point. Uh, Have you ever been in a situation where where you've needed to forgive somebody and you think, I can't do that because I don't want to say what they did was okay? Anyone ever been there? If I forgive them, that would mean I'm, I'm, I'm saying what they did was acceptable to me or I'm somehow affirming their decision in that way. That's a misunderstanding. Forgiveness is not the same thing as excusing. C.S. Lewis actually talks about this in a really beautiful way. He actually says, so often we confuse that for ourselves because when we ask for forgiveness, what we actually want is to be excused. Much of, ton of, personally, for each of us, we have a really t- hard time even asking for forgiveness because in order to actually ask for forgiveness, we have to admit, I did something that needs to be forgiven, right? That I've caused a debt to you in one way or another, that is real, that was painful, that was significant, and now I'm asking for you to release me from that. What we often will do is we go in to ask for forgiveness with a whole list of excuses about why the thing we did wasn't that bad. No one else? Just me? Yeah, last mile, so I think we've all been there, right? 
We want excuse, we don't want forgiveness. And so often what we think about then is that we think when we are offering forgiveness, we're offering an excuse for the thing that happened. There are times in our lives in which things can just be excused. That maybe Lisa does something to me that hurts me, but it's because I misunderstood it, right? We have that conversation like we talked about at the beginning, and she goes, hey, this is where I was coming from. I didn't mean that at all. Like, oh, well, then there is actually no slight there. There's no debt owed, and so it's excused, right? That is a thing that we can do, but that is different than, there, than when Mike stole the 100 from me and actually having to go, no, Mike, that caused me pain, uh, and I'm going to release you from it. It's a different kind of thing. Forgiveness is not the same thing as excusing. The second one, and this one is equally important, is that forgiveness is not forgetting. There are, there are few phrases inside of the Christian vernacular that I despise. The first one is, everything happens for a reason. I hate that one so much. And that's not what we're talking about today, but that is not in the Bible. Aristotle said it, not the Bible. So just be clear on that, right? And if, that, if you want to talk more about that, that's where we get coffee. But that's my number one most hated, so I had to put that at the top. The second one is forgive and forget, because that is garbage. It's not what the Bible says either. Uh, the idea that uh, if I forgive, I have to forget is just impossible. And I think it catch, catches so many people. Um, it, it actually creates a barrier for so many people who are trying to forgive someone. Because if you've ever been really hurt in your life, if you've ever been hurt in a way that is deep, you know it's almost impossible to forget that that happened, Right? And so you go, I don't know how I'm supposed to forgive because I will never be able to forget what happened. Or I don't even want to forget what happened. And you don't have to. You see, <clears throat> where, this, where this particular phrase comes from, the people will make a biblical argument for it, and they make it out of passages like Isaiah 43, 25, which say, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins anymore. And so often we hear God make these kinds of statements, that I will not remember your sins. Man, that bold got weird, didn't it? It was supposed to be bold, and it looks like it was typewriter instead. <laughs> There's ADD in the middle of a sermon. Um, <laughs> anyway, but we often, we often take that particular phrase to say, well, God forgives and forgets. That's not, that's not true. You see, in, in, in the Old Testament, when this phrase is made often, um, and the Hebrew word that we're talking about when we, for the word for remember um, is actually the Hebrew word zachar. You've got to get a good in there if you want to do it right. Zachar, right? Now, it's actually one of the easier Hebrew words to remember if you're in the vocabulary section um, because you have this little mnemonic phrase. You just go, uh, I can't remember where I parked zachar. So now you will all remember zachar forever, right? Right? Uh, that's actually the phrase that Jen and I used while I was doing my Hebrew vocabulary, and I actually have never forgotten it. It's great. So now you know. <laughs> it's also ironic that it means to remember. Um, so the Hebrew word is zachar, and it means to remember. Um, but it's a little bit different than our idea of forgetting. So this same word zachar is used when God is talking about Noah, right? So in Genesis, Noah is floating on top of the water, and it said, then God remembered Noah. Now, this isn't, what this isn't saying is that God and Michael were up in, uh, up in heaven uh, playing poker or something, and all of a sudden God went, oh no, I forgot about Noah. He's floating out there. I better do something, right? It's not that God had forgotten about Noah, but the word zakar, what it means in, it, in its 
And it, what, it, what it means is to uh, bring something to the front of your mind in order to take action according to it. Okay? So to remember, to zikhar something, is to bring something to the front of your mind in order to take action according to it. When God remembers Noah, it's saying that he's going to take action according to Noah. Make sense? That matters a whole lot when we talk about passages like this. So when God is saying, I will remember your sin no more, he's not saying I'm going to forget it. In other words, be unable to intellectually recall it anymore. What he's saying is I'm going to choose to not take it to the front of my mind in order to take action upon it again. Does that make sense? Right? So when we forgive, that's how that process works. I'm going, it's the forgiving of the debt. I'm going to choose to not pull it to the front of my mind anymore, and I won't take action on it anymore. It's not forgetting. You still have a mental recollection of what happened, but you're, not going, you're choosing to not take action according to it. Tracking? Cool. <clears throat> All right. Third one. Uh, well, actually, I want to talk about one more thing. Forgive is to not forget. I want to, and this hopefully will free some of you up a little bit because anyone been, who's been hurt badly, like we already said, knows that the forgetting isn't possible. And so, that the, and so if, we're, if we're actually trying to force ourselves into a space of forgive and forget, what tends to end up happening is then we suppress, right? So we feel like if so maybe, maybe there are some of you out there who have felt like that was an adage you needed to hold on to. I need to forgive and I need to forget you realize the pain is still there and, you, and it keeps popping back up. You can't forget it. And so what you've done is you've stuffed it down into a weird corner of your emotional self, right? If you've ever done that in your life, you know that when we do that, instead of dealing with it, it tends to create more problems than almost anything else in our lives, right? Because it creates this little toxic pocket that, will have it, that has nice ways of coming out sideways, doesn't it? where it, does, it starts expressing itself in all these really weird ways and affecting our relationship because we can't forget it and we're actually hurting ourselves if we try. And so the more we push that down, the more harm we can actually cause ourselves. So when God's asking you to forgive, he's not asking you to forget. He still wants you to keep it in the front of your mind and process through your pain. Third thing that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is not forgetting. And forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. This was a huge one as well. I think so often we think that if we're going to forgive someone, we must reconcile with them. Now, to be clear, ideally that would be the case. In a, world, in a perfect world without a whole bunch of hurt and brokenness, ideally we would always be able to restore and reconcile a relationship. But as all of you know, there are times in which that isn't possible. The times when that is or incredibly difficult. I've, been, I've known so many people that have gotten tripped up on this particular point when it comes to forgiveness. I would forgive, I just don't know how I can be around that person anymore. I would forgive, uh, but they're still doing the thing. Right? That makes it really, really hard to reconcile when, the, when someone has hurt you and are continuing to do the thing that hurts you. How do you reconcile in that space? You can't, right? Because you're going to continually be hurt over and over and over again, and it's going to create new debt that needs to be forgiven again. That's not healthy. That's not good. That's different from forgiveness. I would forgive, but there doesn't seem to be any path to reconciliation. It's, that's why it's important to realize that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. 
Forgiveness is the release of the debt owed. We said that at the beginning, physically and emotionally, or both. And because of that, it doesn't require repentance from the other person. If Mike steals $100 from me, let's say I've caught him dead to rights, he's on camera, but he doesn't admit that it happened, right? Kyle saw him, Andrea saw him, I saw him, he's on camera, but he goes, I didn't do it. Well, we, Mike and I might not be able to reconcile because I'm going to go like, brother, if you can't live in that reality, I don't know how we can be friends anymore. I don't know how we can do this thing anymore. But that doesn't prevent me from releasing him from that debt, right? I can say, you don't owe me 100 bucks. I don't care if you want to admit it or not, you don't. And I'm going to release you from the emotional debt as far as it is up to me. I can forgive him. I can release him from both of those things, but we could still possibly not reconcile. See, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation because forgiveness does not require repentance from the other person. Mike can refuse to ever admit that he took that $100 from me forever and I can still forgive him. Reconciliation, on the other hand, though, does require repentance. An admission of, I did the thing that hurt you and I'm going to do my best to not do it again. One of the, the silly analogies that I've used in the past to help people wrap their minds around this Let's imagine somebody decides to take up a new hobby and they decide their new hobby is going to be juggling knives, right? Jeremy, or I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, Jeremy decides to juggle knives, right? That's his new hobby. And that might be one that he would take up, actually, right? Yeah, so we'll see. Jeremy decides to, to, to juggle knives, uh, but he's really bad at it. So he, he calls me over and he's like, Brent, I want to show you my new trick. So I come and see it and he is bad at it, so he throws one and it hits me and stabs me, right? I'm like, uh oh Right? That creates a debt for me because now I don't trust Jeremy around knives anymore uh, and, and, and I have a physical knife in me. Right? Now, I could forgive Jeremy. We could take the knife out and say, hey, your debt isn't owed. Uh, I also don't need to go around him if he's going to continue to juggle knives. Right? If he refuses to stop, I don't need to be in that space anymore. Now, it's a silly example and it's supposed to be. But I think you all in your minds can imagine somebody who's not actually juggling knives, but is doing the same kind of damage, right? That when every time that you're around them, they're reckless, and, that, and that, the recklessness hurts people, and maybe you. It's okay to say, hey, I'm not going to hold it against you anymore, the fact that you hit me with a knife, but also, until you stop, we can't be in the same space anymore. That's okay. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. So we've talked a, lot, a little bit about what forgiveness is not, Hopefully those categories are helpful. Uh, it's not excusing. It's not forgetting. It's not the same as reconciling. So what is it then? See, forgiveness is more about the forgiver in our interpersonal relationships than it is about the one being forgiven. See, throughout Scripture, we see Jesus putting, to, putting our forgiveness together with God's forgiveness towards other people. We saw it in the, at the end of our parable today. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven, Jesus says. So often, we hear that phrase transactionally like Peter did. We actually get, some people get even really nervous about their salvation because of it. Hey, have I forgiven every single person that, 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 is, that has slighted me? Right? I need to forgive three people, and if I didn't, that might mean there are three things in my life that God won't forgive. We think about it in that same kind of transactional lens. And then what? Right, that gets sticky really quickly. It's going to really have a tally mark uh, where, hey, Brent hasn't forgiven 10 people, so there are 10 things in his life that don't get forgiven. Is that how God works? 
They argued, no, not. But Jesus is saying uh, to Peter the same thing he's saying to us, that we need to shift the paradigm we look at this particular thing through. See, what Jesus is trying to teach is that forgiveness isn't just an action. It's a foundational principle of how the kingdom works. It's a foundational principle in, in, to, to start living the kingdom kind of life. The kingdom has come because of God's forgiveness to each of us through Jesus. And so if we're going to live into that new kingdom then, we, that same kind of forgiveness ought to be primary for us as well. It's not because God's going to zap us if we don't. That's Zeus, not Yahweh. But it's because you close yourself off to one of the most important life-giving parts of the kingdom if we don't open ourselves up to forgiveness. Okay? Actually, I got, uh, I've shared part of this quote with you before, but it's too good not to share again. Um, my good friend N.T. Wright, I call him Tom. We're best friends. Um, I wish we were at least. Um, but he wrote it this way. Um, he said, here's a metaphor that may help us to understand it. We all have a kind of gateway in our innermost heart and mind and soul which can open up to receive God's love and forgiveness. And it's the same gateway which opens up to giving, us, giving love and forgiveness to others. However, if we decide to shut that gate so that we refuse to give love and forgiveness to others, then we cannot receive the love and forgiveness of God either because it's the same gate. <clears throat> but forgiveness is not a moral rule that comes to us with sanctions attached. God doesn't deal with us on the basis of abstract codes and rules like that. Forgiveness is a way of life, God's way of life, God's way to life. And if you close your heart to forgiveness, then you close your heart, <clears throat> or, or, hold on, sorry, this is really small on here, which is too bad. If you close, if you close your heart to forgiveness, why then you close your heart to forgiveness? That is the point of the terrifying parable in Matthew 18 about the slave who has been forgiven millions but then dragged a colleague into court to settle a debt of a few pence. If you lock up a piano because you don't want, <clears throat> you don't want to play, it, play to somebody else, how can God play for you? That's why we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That isn't a bargain we make with God. It's a fact of human life. Not to forgive is to shut down a faculty in the innermost person, which happens to be the same faculty that can receive God's forgiveness. It also happens to be the same faculty that can, be, that can experience real joy and real grief. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I just think that is a beautiful description of what this passage means. It's not saying that it's, it, N.T. Wright, like what Jesus is trying to express, is he's saying it's entirely shifting your framework from a transactional idea of X number of things were done to me and I have to forgive X number of things. Shifting it to a place to say, recognize the bigness and grandness of God's forgiveness to you and when you do that, it sets the foundation for you then to, ex to experience the amazingness of that love, but it's also the exact same pathway that you then can give that love to everyone else in your life. It's not saying that God is waiting to zap you because you, have, you haven't forgiven enough things. It's saying that if you want to experience the life that comes from experiencing God's forgiveness, the gateway has to be open towards other people as well. See, forgiveness is the, found, is, is the thing that brought the kingdom to earth. When Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is all around you, he's initiating this new way of life that comes because of the forgiveness at the resurrection. And so if we're going to live into that kind of kingdom life, we have to open our hearts up to forgiveness then. 
In places we don't, we end up missing the good and beautiful life that God desires for us. The command to forgive was given to you and I not for the sake of making God happy or somehow avoiding judgment or to let a horrible person off the hook. It was given to us because it leads us to the kind of life that God desires for us. Because holding on to anger isn't good for us. And we all know that if we're willing to search our hearts. It's pretty universally understood that anger that just resides inside of us doesn't produce good things. Even the Buddhists got it, right? There's a Buddhist proverb that says holding on to anger is like drinking poison. Maybe you've heard this before and hoping the other person dies, right? It's a universally understood concept that when we hold on to anger, it doesn't do us any good. And there's some of you out there that probably need to hear that. I've shared with many of you before, if you're part of Harbor Life and now Walker's here, so I guess I got to do this story a little bit more in depth than I was planning on it. Um, There was a season in my life where I knew, or I didn't know, I was holding on to hatred that I didn't want to let go. Uh, somebody had hurt me really deeply and, really, and regularly, um, and I had done almost all of the things I said forgiveness is not. <laughs> so some of that comes out of a life experience. I said, I can't forgive because that excuses everything that, was gonna ha- that happened, and so many terrible things happened, unfortunately. So I didn't. I said, I can't forget either, but though I tried in a lot of ways and stuffed it down into those weird pockets and it came out in weird ways. And I also thought it meant reconciliation. I realized it didn't mean any of those things. And so I held on to that hatred. I, couldn't feel, I didn't feel like I could let it go. I feel like I needed it because it gave me a power over that person. Someone hurt me deeply and I couldn't excuse them. There's no way I could forget. And, so they, were st- and they were still doing the damage, so reconciliation seemed impossible. And so I held on to it. Until the day that I actually, because my wife's smarter than I am in so many different ways, was like, you should talk to a counselor about that because that's bad. I'm like, okay. So we did, uh, and worked through that process. It was a hard and long process of realizing I was still actually holding on to hatred. I would have said I was too holy to do that. Uh, I was a pastor at the time when I was working through it. So I'm like, I don't hate anybody um, until you started working through it and realized, ooh, I actually do, and it's gross. And so because we started working through that, and as it started to come out, I realized how much of my life it was affecting, how angry it was making me towards other people. My wife and one, that's why she told me to uh, get a counselor. Again, she's smarter than I am in so many different ways. Um, But also the interactions with so many other people, including this particular person. And it was interesting because as I started to work through those things, as that hatred that was there started to come out, one, it was incredibly painful. And I'm just going to say that because it's important. Uh, When we start working through those things, in order to forgive emotional debt, we have to feel it again. And if you've pushed it down for a long time, that hurts. To forgive an emotional debt, I actually have to take it out and go, that's what it is. And when we feel that again, we're like, I don't want that. But it's one of the only ways. So we went through that, and so it hurt like crazy. But then all of a sudden, and I actually don't know if there was a day or not, but all of a sudden, the eyes that I looked at this person through were no longer the eyes of hatred, but the eyes of empathy. The person that I was so angry with and so mad at and so that hurt me so deeply that I wanted bad things to happen to so that they could feel what I had felt. All of a sudden, my lens changed, and one day I looked at her, and I was like, you've lost everything, and I'm really sad about that. Now, it doesn't excuse what this person did. It doesn't excuse what they're still doing. We have not reconciled. 
we have, we, we have some things in place to try and they haven't worked. So it just is what it is. Uh, it doesn't mean I've forgotten. I actually had to remember a lot more than when I wanted to. But it did get rid of my anger. And that is an immensely freeing thing. It's one of those things that you can't even describe unless you've experienced it. People do describe it like a weight off my chest. Um, that physical metaphor is real in this case. Like it felt lighter because it was gone. And so maybe you're here this morning that are in, in that same kind of way. That you've been holding on to some anger that you don't want to let go. Because people can hurt us deeply. Maybe some of you out there were assaulted or attacked by someone and hurt you in ways you can't even fully wrap your mind around or your heart around. Now, there are no words to begin to even express how sad I am for you in that. That is such a terrible tragedy, and I truly am so sorry that happened to you. It's not okay. It's not your fault. It was wrong. You matter, and you need to know that if that's, you're out there in that way. And if you're still holding on to the anger or the rage, I get why. Oh, I get, I get why a lot. Revenge can pretend to be very, very sweet, can't it? But in this passage, and I want to say to you today too, that there is a better way out there than holding on to your anger or rage or hurt. There's a lighter way, a fuller way. And it's the way of forgiveness. But remember, forgiveness isn't going to say that it was okay because it wasn't and it never will be. Forgiveness isn't going to be forgetting because you probably never won't. And forgiveness definitely does not mean you have to talk to that person ever again or see them or even have them repent. Forgiveness is about releasing the power they have over you and cutting that tie. There are others of you who are holding on to anger towards someone who is actively doing you harm. They haven't stopped juggling knives yet. Every time you go near that person, you're worried that you're going to get hit by another shot. They're going to create another wound. They're going to hurt you one more time. And so you hold on to the anger. You hold on to the debt they owe you because someday they'll get what's coming to them. And in that kind of idea, there's a feeling of power, isn't there? I wonder, why if that, I wonder, if, I wonder if that's why it's so tempting. I, want, I think it might be. I'll hold my righteous rage over your head, meaning I get to hold the moral high ground forever. I have the power position. You will remain in my debt. But if we really look at those relationships, do they produce good things or does it always spiral into a deeper and deeper abyss of horribleness, of resentful and pain, resentment and pain? It always goes down that way, doesn't it? So to say the same thing, there's a better way. Now you will lose your perceived power over that person, but you gain your freedom. Forgiving someone who is continuing to hurt you is not saying what they've done is okay or what they're doing is okay. It's not forgetting about the fact that every time you go near them, it's hurt you, and so it's not reconciliation either. In the relationship I mentioned earlier, I released a lot of that debt. But I also recognized in the midst of that space that it keeps coming up from time to time as well. It's complex. Because the person is still actively toxic. We created boundaries, like I said. But that doesn't mean, uh, but that doesn't mean I haven't forgiven everything I Hopefully, I can right now. But we recognize in the midst of that space, too, that it's massively complex, and so I have to keep bringing those things up over and over and over again. There might be some of you out there who are holding on to a debt from someone you can't reconcile with because they're not here anymore. 
Either they've literally vanished, they're gone, they just disappeared somewhere, somewhere in this world and you don't know where they are, or they've passed. In that same idea, we can forgive in the same way because all of the principles we've just talked about apply there as well. Now, there are probably hundreds of other examples we could use here. Because the fact is we live in a world where sin, we're missing the mark, is all around us. No more so than in our own hearts. We, we hurt each other, and sometimes in very serious ways. And those hurts aren't insignificant things or trite. They aren't something that could be brushed off or flippantly treated. They're not okay. They actually did hurt. They've created debts that are owed. And so many of us, like Peter, wonder, how many times do I need to forgive that person? And that's where many of us are going to need Jesus to shift our paradigm. He reminds us of God's gratuitous and abundant forgiveness towards us in our lives so that we can allow that same principle to be the foundation of our kingdom life. Not because, we're going to, because God's going to zap us if we don't, but because there is a better and fuller life out there if we're willing to do that. Forgiveness is about opening your heart to experience all of the love that God desires to, to shower on you and to share that with those who are around us. The pathway is the same. If you want to experience the fullness of life in God, it's going to require you to work through the areas in, the life, in your life in which you need to forgive someone. It's not easy. It's incredibly painful. That's why we do it together as a community. If you're sitting here this, this morning thinking through whatever that might be, and it's terrifying because you don't even know where to start, talk to somebody about it. Talk to a counselor if that's the space you need to be in. Feel free to come talk to me or Lisa or Wally or whoever you need to talk to just to get that process moving because I promise you, if you're willing to get the ball moving, if you're willing to break up the barrier of anger and rage or resentment or hurt that you have, there's a whole world of fullness out there that you just don't know yet. I've experienced it in my life. I've seen it in people's lives over and over and over again, and I want it for you too. God wants you to know how much he loves you and how much you've been forgiven. And to do that, he says, open the gateway towards other people as well. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just want to come before you this morning and realize that many of us are holding on to anger or resentment or hurt. And we're not sure we want to let it go. So we pray for, for your eyes. Like the unmerciful servant, like the, help us to see the debt that we've had forgiven, to put it in the right perspective. Help us to experience the fullness, the bigness, and grandeur of your love towards us. And then, then help us, then help give us those same eyes towards the people in our lives that have hurt us. God, we pray for, for the unrepentant people, people who have hurt us and don't want to recognize it. We pray that you might help them see as well so that reconciliation might be possible. But if not, we pray for the courage and strength to release those debts for ourselves. May we forgive others so that we can experience the fullness of your forgiveness for us. Amen.